What is up, guys? Welcome to another episode of The Real Build. I'm your host, Bill Ryman, your broker builder. And in this episode, I have an amazing guest. Another amazing guest. Every guest is amazing. But this one was on a huge, huge topic. Probably the most important topic in business. And that is leadership. I got the opportunity to sit down with Sue Dyer, who actually, she's the owner of Sudico and also an best-selling author of the book, The Trusted Leader. You guys are going to want to go check out her book. Um, available on Amazon if you guys want to go check it out. But we dove deep into leadership, the importance of it, trust, uh, building teams, uh, trust with teams, having your team being able to say more, do more within your construction business. This is all directed towards construction, building a great company, building a massive company. And how do you do that? That's with your team. So, so many things were covered in this podcast. You are going to want to listen. Uh, please take the time to share, comment. If you're watching on YouTube, we've been uploading these things slowly but surely, getting them on YouTube. Go check them out over there um, and give that a subscribe as well. And take the time to uh, if you're on Spotify or if you're on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to, if you can leave a review, please do so. It goes a long way. With that being said, guys, let's dive into this week's episode with Sue Dyer. Welcome to The Real Build, the show that shows you exactly what you need to look for in construction and real estate. I am your host, Bill Ryman, your broker builder, and each week I will teach you exactly what you need to look for, whether you are buying, building, or selling a house. I interview top people throughout real estate and construction, give you a better perspective prior to making one of the biggest investments of your life. I will also discuss my personal experiences as a luxury builder and real estate broker and answer your questions about the process. With that being said, welcome to The Real Build. Sue Dyer, welcome to The Real Build. How are you doing today? I am doing great. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I am so glad to have you on because we are about to talk about one of the most important, if not the most important topics in business and especially in the construction business, because that's what your target market is and what you are doing and so on. But before we get into that, I want to hear about Sue. So who is Sue Dyer? Well, um, I am a uh, construction person. <laughs> I <laughs> have it. worked in construction for 43 years wow. now. And I started in uh, 1980 as the executive director of the United Contractors Association, which in California, here where I'm at, it's the largest uh, construction trade association. And it's the largest construction trade association west of the Mississippi. So it's, it's a large group of contractors and in that role, I negotiated with all of the construction crafts. So in fact, this week I negotiated with the operating engineers, Local 3, for a new agreement. So that was my background. And uh, in the very first meeting I went to when I was the executive director, brand new, first meeting, and they're just cleaning up the dinner plates and I hear all this commotion 
and I go, what the heck is going on? And I went over and found out that two of our members were having a knockdown, drag out fist fight in the men's bathroom. So that was my introduction to the culture of construction, <laughs> which has been quite adversarial for about a hundred years. So, <laughs> and so at that point, it was where I sort of had that epiphany moment where it seems to me that you could at least be a successful if you would cooperate with each other and collaborate as opposed to always competing. And so that was when I really started on a journey to try to explore how do we create a high trust, high performing team, whether it's inside of an organization, between organizations or on a project. And so it's been a, a 40 year journey for me to uh, try to create models that create predictable success. So in a lot of our construction projects, uh, we hope. We hope that everything will work out. We hope that it'll come in on time. We hope it'll come in on budget. We hope that everything will work out and it'll actually work the way it's supposed to. We hope a lot, but hope is not a strategy. So uh, creating models where we can help teams to create the atmosphere that's required for success. And the way you create the atmosphere is by having leaders that know how to create a high trust environment. It's so spot on. I mean, in your background, very impressive, 40 years in the business. So God bless you for that too. I mean, it's in, and just, I mean, I'm sure throughout all those processes and everything you've gone through too, you've learned so much, but to, to, target in on leadership is such a key thing and you're kind of perfecting that and helping other construction businesses learn that better and learn that more and have you know be able to operate teams better and and their employees and even resonates with their clients as well which we're going to get into i want to touch on which i do with all my guests too why did you choose construction? What what made you choose construction over other industries? Because it's always interesting, you know. It, it a lot of people it comes naturally. It just comes in. Like, what made you choose construction? Well, you know, at the time, I'm not sure I was totally aware as to why I chose it. But on my mother's side, my grandmother was a developer. Mm. She bought every house in the neighborhood, bought land, and then developed uh, mostly like hospitals and public facilities. On my father's side, he was a developer and bought ranches and built custom homes. Mm -hmm. So I had that in my, in my family history. Uh, and then my father-in-law was the president of the IBEW. So I kind of was surrounded by it, but I don't know. It was at a very subconscious level until I actually got into construction and you meet the people and it's like, oh my, I, do, I love these people. There is very few industries, and especially today, where you could have an eighth grade graduate education or a, a GED or maybe not even and become a multimillionaire mm -hmm. off of your own tenacity and your own, you know, being bringing yourself up on your own bootstraps. I mean, it's just 
an amazing industry. It's filled with the salt of the earth. And yeah, you hear a lot of bad stories, but most contractors take great pride in what they do. And so trying to help them have a better time, an easier time to build things, because that's what they love to do. And, you know, over the last 40 years, I've certainly seen a lot more bureaucracy and requirements. I mean, they never go away. They just keep getting added on, right? So uh, it's harder and harder today to to succeed. Yeah, I love what you said there, too. I mean, it, it is it's true. I mean, it is one of the only businesses and there's a lot of options in it that you can start from in eighth grade or a GED um, and work your way up to a lot of success, too, through your own will drive uh, to succeed, too. And, and you know, I think construction, like you brushed on a little bit, too, a lot of contractors get a bad rap. Uh, that's why I do this show is to show people that there are great people in the construction industry that are out there too that are hard working they show up when they say they're going to show up and they do the right thing all the time and and you know it's it's trying to get more people into this industry especially this day and age too showcasing you know how much success you can have in this industry and and to be honest, I think there's more and more need for contractors. I think contractors are going to be more and more sought after. Uh, it's one of the only, I think, true jobs, too, that I don't think AI and so on can replace fully because our AI can't build a house. Um, well, not yet. But, um, you know, it's just it's I get stamped out. But... <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It's just it's so interesting to me, all that kind of stuff, but it, there's so much that can be done in this industry too. And I love the impact you're making on it. I wanted to start off with you, you know, obviously a uh, great quote by John Maxwell, who you and I kind of talked about a little bit before the show as, you know, everything rises and falls on leadership. So let's talk about the importance of leadership within the construction industry. Yeah, well, you know, in, in construction, for about 150 years, we have had a model of leading a project team with this uh, kind of this Christians to the lions approach. We throw people in and you survive, yay. And if you don't, well, then you're just like everybody else. Uh, and we're very adversarial in our approach, just like my members were and with each other. And so this adversarial approach has played out for, you know, 100 years. And so when you look at that, when I work for someone who is a benevolent dictator, we'll give them the shadow of the doubt that they're benevolent. Um, I'm not there very long on the job before I realize I better do what I'm told. But you hired me because I have 30 years of experience in my expertise. But I'm, I'm just going to do what I'm told. So I feel like I'm being forced to do something in a way I may not even think is the best for the project or the best solution. But, hey, I'm doing what I'm told. That's what I'm getting paid to do. And so then the people who work for me, then they do what I tell them to do. So that's the norm of how the whole team operates. You know, up, upwards, tell, decides, they tell this person, how high do you want me to jump? Okay, I'll jump that high. I tell my people we're going to jump this high. 
and that's how they operate. And it looks like everything's going along well until you realize that the people who are not using their expertise feel like they're being forced to do something in a way they don't really think is the best. Mm-hmm. And so they feel coerced. And that begins to become the whole culture. If you had one word for the culture, it's coercion. Everyone's making everyone else do everyone else's bidding. But it looks like it's settled in. And so then you roll along and on teams like this, they'll tell me things like meetings. Why would we have a meeting? There's nothing to talk about because they're not going to talk about something in a meeting, right? Because they don't want to get punished. So with coercion always comes punishment. If you don't do what you're supposed to do, you're going to get punished. I don't want to be punished. I like my job. I have a mortgage. I have a family. I need my job. So I just do what I'm told to do. But then in meetings, I'm not, I'm not going to stick my neck out and say something. There's a problem or an idea for to make it better. Not my job. Not doing it. So these teams have very stifled communication. And anybody who's been on a construction project knows the key to success is communication. Because if you don't know what's going on, you can't coordinate, especially in a building where you want how many subs you have, 30 subs, something like that. Maybe 100 on large buildings, we have 1,000. So communication stifled. Projects can kind of be described as problem, problem, solution, problem, problem, milestone, problem, problem, solution. I mean, that's all it is, is problems and milestones. And that's the jobs team, the job, the team of the job, the team's job. These are rented lips to uh, identify the problems and, and come up with agreed upon solutions and then implement them. So eventually a big problem comes up always on a project. There's always a problem on a project. And it's not like you don't have seasoned people who understand the problem and they could come up with 10 ways to resolve it, all of which would resolve the problem. Not one person says anything and not one person moves forward. The problem just sits there. It's like they're sitting in the middle of the freeway. They see the semi coming at them and every time they get run over. And so that leads to the failure of the project wipes out whole organizations, like the whole construction company may be gone, the owner's team may be gone, the designer may be gone, they may all be gone. And we did research on 19 mega projects where they did huge forensic studies in construction, these thousands of pages of forensic studies. Every single one of them, this is what happened. Hmm. It wasn't that the team didn't know that what the problems were, understood them and could have solved them. It's that no one could talk about it. Nobody shared what it was. And I've been on a lot of projects where someone tries to tell you there's a problem. What do they do is they get hit. (laughs) They get punished for talking. It's not your place to talk. So my models have been that we need to move more towards creating a trusted leadership model because leadership is everything like you were talking about, where the primary job of a leader is to create a high trust environment. And my definition of a leader is a little different too, and that a leader is someone who has followers and following is 100% voluntary. So people follow because they trust you. So I'm on the same job with the same crew and I have my trusted leader and I'm there not too long, five minutes or so, and I'm going, 
oh, this sounds pretty good. I, I think I could trust this person. At least I'm going to give it a shot. So I'm feeling like I'm choosing to be a part of this team. I'm choosing to follow. And so does everyone else. So fairly quickly, you begin to feel this sense of cohesion, like we're in this together. We're a team. We're on a mission. We're going to make this happen. And then that allows for everyone to begin to feel a sense of commitment. We've already committed to our leader. We're committing to each other. And I really know they've got what they need to succeed when they start saying things like, we are committed to doing whatever it takes to succeed. Now they have created the atmosphere that allows for continuous improvement, innovation, and creativity to occur. And in the construction industry back in the 1980s, 70s, 60s, there's a lot of talk about total quality management and creating quality and continuous improvement. Now we talk about it in terms of lean, but you can't, it's impossible to have any of those things, innovation, continuous improvement, or any kind of creativity to emerge until and unless you create this kind of atmosphere. Now you've created that atmosphere. So every problem begins to become a way that the team could maybe create, made it, make an improvement, something extraordinary that they could do with that, pushing the envelope of what's ever been done before. And of course, because they trust each other, it gets implemented. And, and so that leads to the growth of the individuals, growth of the organizations, and the growth of the entire industry, because that's how we learn. And of course, they, they're highly successful. I have worked on many projects where, well, for example, uh, runway safety areas was a requirement by the FAA. So every single airport in the United States, actually worldwide, had to have this runway safety area. You heard all the news, all where the jets were running off the, the jetway at the end. And so there's this runway safety area now that is this special concrete that absorbs the, the momentum of the plane so that it doesn't, it stops it. And so most of these projects that I was working on were taking around two to three years to build. And you know, figure it's out on, it's a huge Im impact on the operation of any airport, but uh, at San Francisco International Airport, um, it's, they needed to install their runway safety area and they impact all other air traffic worldwide. So the FAA gave them four months to build this, four months instead of two years. And so the team decided that they could build it in 90 days. And that meant they had to install a million dollars worth of work per day uh, over the 30 days. And so they co-located, they created, they became one team, didn't matter who paid your paycheck, they had, when they had a problem, they would identify one, two, three, four different solutions, implement them all because they didn't know which one would actually stick or they'd be able to implement fully. And they were able to, in 90 days, open up the airport for traffic in, in those 90 days. Uh, since then, I've had another airport do $2 million a day and they built an entire runway in two weeks. And so, these are the things that are possible when you have a high performing team. Um, you can just do things that are just not, not possible. 
with a, uh, most of the teams that exist in construction today. And the teams have fun because they're making it happen. They're, they're inventing, they're creating things, they're making things happen. And that's really what makes construction fun because most of the people in construction like to build. They don't like the paperwork. They don't like being stopped. They don't like rework. They don't like, mm-hmm. you know, they don't like all the requirements and constraints and stuff. That's not fun. And they definitely don't like a war, which is what too many projects are, is a war zone. And that's because of the adversarial paradigm. It sets us up as a war. And, you know, that's sort of a a sad thing with construction managers, because on larger projects, owners will hire a construction management firm. And the construction manager has been trained that his job is to protect the interests of the owner and to police the contractor. Well, that there just sets up a, a complete adversarial relationship. So it ends up being a lose-lose for the contractor and the owner. Everything you just, amazing, everything you just said, there's a lot right there too, as far as, and a, a lot of the key points here too, is, you know, obviously working as a team, letting your team have some say in some things too. And, you know, also, um, you know, gaining trust too was a big, big, important part of it. I think a lot of people in construction, you know, they are what you said it used to be where it's like, okay, you show up to the job, I'm going to pay you. That's it. That's why I'm hiring you and then move on. But when you go into kind of a team approach, get people's opinions, work together as an owner and get your actual employees opinions on things. Um, you know, the biz, that's how the business is going to grow, uh, you know, because you're hiring those employees to be a part of something, to build the company. You're selling them on a vision, or at least you need to be selling them on a vision. That's how your business is going to grow, too. I do it every week. I mean, at least once we have a Monday morning meeting, every single Monday, I tell the team, this is where we're going, guys. This is what we're doing. This is what you can expect in the future. Uh, selling them on that vision, but also asking each and every one of them. So, you know, what's going on with you? You got anything? What do you what do you think we should be doing here? Uh, Or, you know, at this moment here and there too? um, How can you come up with something or a better solution for what you are doing? How can you do it faster? How can you do it more efficient? Asking those questions is so important, like you said, but a lot of that does come with trust too, gaining the trust of the employee, uh, you know, obviously a lot of that's in the initial process with them too, and, and getting to know each other as they work with you as well, but so much good information right there. Um, as far as go ahead. The other other thing that what you're talking about reminds me that there is absolutely a collective wisdom in a construction project Mm -hmm. team, but so many people are afraid to ask you can trust them. You can completely trust them. Give them a hard question, a hard task, and together, yeah, they might say, "Well, I see it differently." I, you know, I, I don't know about that. There, and let them work through that until they come up with this the most elegant, optimal decision and solution. They will come up with stuff that would never have happened if they didn't have that chance to talk to each other and have the different perspectives. And they come up with solutions that are just like, oh, my goodness, that's amazing. And it's so fun. And then they're, that's fun for them because it's creative. 
Yeah, it makes them feel like they're part of something too. And it's not just working. It's more you're building this company too. You're helping create this business and mold this business into the future vision we all have. And it's, you know, the owner has success, you're going to have success, you know, and that's the whole thing as a business owner is making sure that it's a trickle down effect. It's not all about the owner. I think that's where a lot of construction owners fail too. not, not a lot, but uh, some of them fail is by just thinking, you know, it's about them. They're over their overall budget and lot, you know, how much they're making and so on. But it's what matters is everybody else too. You know, you're bringing well, them with I think it's, maybe less today, but years ago it was very prevalent that people saw people in the trades mm-hmm. as just a cog not necessarily as a craftsperson or an extraordinary craft person. And so you wanted to attract the best and make them part of your team. But nowadays I see much more, particularly the building and building side, horizontal work less so. But even then you can't afford to not, not have people be a part of your core team. And that includes your subs, make them part of your team too. They're they're as essential as anything. You know, the, the, the trades that you need to finish up your projects have to be there as well. It, it's complicated. And what really kills construction projects, I've learned this over many, many years I'm working on. You know, I've worked on smaller projects and then I've worked on a lot of really large, like we just finished a $12 billion project. And I work on a lot of projects that are in the billion, multi-billion dollar range. And, what we've learned is that it's complexity that kills projects. It's the, if you think about it, when you have two people, you have two lines of communication. When you have three people, you have six lines of communication. When you have 20, and that's only 20, you have 120 now lines of communication. So just from trying to talk to each other and communicate, and then you add to that, different cultures, different organizations, different leaders, you know, you know, they, different plans that you're looking at, even though it's the same plan, you ripped your pages out, you can look at the rest of it. Yeah, you know, you just, then you have all these requirements on top of that with third parties and stakeholders who are going to be the end users. It's, it's so complex that it's very, very hard to be successful. So the way that you melt away complexity, going back to the trusted leader, is that you work to create one team. Even if you have a thousand organizations coming together, you work to create one team focused on the success of the project and the team has co-created what success looks like. What are we going to do? And we have goals towards those things and we measure how well we're doing towards achieving those every single month. So that everyone is aligned, everyone knows what they're doing, everyone knows their part, and we know whether we are succeeding or we're failing. Uh, this is yeah, this is so good. Um, I love that with the one team and creating that too, because because and going going back to you know I'm looking at myself here in this situation as a builder too. A lot a lot of builders don't really consider you know bring in their subs as part of the team or tell them they're part of the team like you said you know it's just a subcontractor they're their own they're their own thing you know we're just bringing you in and we're paying you to get a job done but they are such a crucial part of the team 
and the core of who you are as a builder because they're delivering the product too. So amazing what you just said right there. And I will tell you, I work with enough builders, you know, hundreds. I've worked on over 4,000 projects. So I will tell you the builders that have really created cohesion amongst their subs, they just kick butt <laughs> compared to the others um, because their subs are committed to them and they know how to work together. You know, a lot of construction is a dance. Like you're in here, we're moving there. It's, uh, they, they know how to dance together. It's already choreographed. It may be a different building, different type of thing, but they know they already have that kind of dance. And so they, they just really do extraordinary things that you can't couldn't do if you thought, oh, I'm going to go find the lowest guy here and the lowest person here and the lowest person here. We'll put together this new team. And and then you go, oh, man, these people are not performing because your whole team is only going to be as good as the weakest link. Right. So this this person just really isn't performing. What are we going to do? Well, we're kind of married to them now. We're all sort of trying to make workarounds around it. But still, it's just a loss for everybody. Yeah. And going off of that, too, because I'm thinking as you're talking, you know, addressing your subcontractors as part of a team, a part of your team, you know, it's going to make them feel more a part of something, too. It's like you just said, it's like a dance together, the, the process, everything, because subcontractors work for other builders, too. But if those other builders are probably doing the same thing where they're like, OK, yeah, you know, you're just a subcontractor. But if you bring them in and say, hey, you're part of my team. This is a team where we're together. We're working together. You know, we're one. They're going to focus more on you too. And they're going to take pride in their work with you and more pride in the team and the effort together to deliver the overall product. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen it over and over again. It's, they're committed. The, the, one of the things, a couple things I see happen is that one is that you won't get their C team, you'll get their A team. And the second thing I know is that because you got their A team, you're going to get a better price. Mm. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I want to go into um, your book a little bit too, The Trusted Leader. Uh, you kind of you emphasize the importance of the partnering approach. Uh, could you explain this, what this approach is and how, you know, it can help leaders build trust within their organizations? Because obviously we touched on trust and the importance of it. So let's talk about your book a little bit. Yeah. So I, I wrote this book because what I saw on a lot, we, we conduct a process called collaborative partnering, uh, which is bringing together all the different entities to come together and co-create the goals, become one team. And then we have a scorecard that measures. So this is sort of what we do. But what I saw on so many of our projects is that we could implement the partnering process and make, make a difference. You know, we wouldn't end up with claims and we would do better than we would have been, but we didn't get to that extraordinary mark because the leaders didn't know how to create trust. They still had the old paradigm and they didn't realize they were shooting themselves in the foot as they were starting the race because on construction, we are completely interdependent. And in an interdependent relationship, there's only win-win or lose-lose. So, so many times end up people end up actually negotiating over who's going to lose more 
it's still a lose. <laughs> it's still a loss. So I decided to write this book so that we could help leaders learn how to think and act in a manner that creates a high trust culture. And that high trust culture creates a high performing team. So it has two parts to it in the partnering approach. The first are the partnering principles. And these are really a mindset that the leader needs to have. And with that mindset, it begins to create the culture that people are experiencing of you as a leader in your business or on your projects. And then the second part are the partnering values. So if you want to actually have people behave in a different way, more in a high trust manner, you, you instill these values, which go together with the principles because you need the principles in your mind, but then the values. So this is, this is how it works. So if you have, you can't see values, but you have values. They show up in attitudes and you can see the attitudes, you can understand the attitudes, but they play out in behaviors. So whenever you want to change behavior, you have to start with values. Hmm. So you start to instill the values and make them meaningful to the people. So what does this mean? You know, for example, I have a client where they had a, a very tragic accident happen and it, it was a, it was a plane that crashed. So it wasn't that like the people up there did it, but it was an accident and plane crashed. But because of their values were partnering values, immediately everyone came together. They, there was no, they, you didn't have to do anything. They just came. They just, they all came. And then because of their values, they knew what they needed to do. They, they worked together. They made it work. They took care of people. There were people who had died. There were people who were injured. There were, there was, so they took care of it because of their values. So your values really determine what you can do and what you can't do in your organization. And, but your values don't really play out if the leader is not in the same mindset that's aligned with it. So you have to have you have to have the mindset and you have to have the values, and those two things really create the partnering approach. And so in, in my book, I outline ten partnering principles and six partnering values, and then it goes on to tell you show you how it's really about in your head, you know, garbage in equals garbage out. How do you how do you shift it? How do you create new neural networks basically? So it's through practice, and then there's how do you train your brain to practice the principles and the, the partnering values? So that's kind of what the book does. And then I just developed a training too that will walk people through all of this. And uh, it's I've got five modules. And at the end of it, you actually do uh, the sixth module is a 30 day uh, do the impossible challenge. So you pick one of the things you identify during the training, which is you'll have to identify 10 areas where leveling up trust will help you really make a significant return on investment. And you pick one of those and then you work to it. Of course, then you could go back and you could do the other nine. And by then you'll have 10 things that you where you've leveled up trust. So this, this training is actually from a nonprofit charitable organization. I've given it to them, which is the International Partnering Institute. So it'll be part of their certification process. So if you want to become IPI certified, this is the first step. 
That's awesome. Uh, and going back to what you just said too about the mindset. Obviously, mindset is everything too, and to have a good mindset, good people in leadership in general. I mean, people are going to follow people with great mind, mindset, positive outlook. Um, if you're, you know, kind of ex exceeding expectations and um, being the best version of yourself, let's put it that way too, people are going to follow suit behind that as well. And that goes into that mindset. Um, but going back to what you said about values and having core values within a business too are so crucial uh, for every single business out there. Um, you know, I'm sure you guys have your core values. We have our core values. A lot of other businesses that I know have core values too. And hiring is dependent on those core values too, is kind of what you're saying as well. And and the team and so on as well too. But I want to go into trust too, um, because a lot of your book and, and what you're doing too is trust is such a fundamental thing when it comes to leadership as well. So what are some key factors or behaviors that contribute to building trust with employees and team members? What do you suggest? Well, actually, the principles are probably a pretty good thing to share. So, <laughs> um, so if, you, if you think about trust, what's the opposite of trust? It's fear. Yeah. And, you know, and on construction project, we are just really filled with fear everywhere. Why, why do we write letters to each other? Why do we, why do we feel we need to police people? Why do it's just so filled with fear. So you've got to drive out the fear in order to build the trust. And so fear and trust cannot coexist. So that's, that's the first thing is that fear is the enemy of trust. And so you've got to really work on identifying where do you have fear and people will go, I'm not afraid of anything. Yeah, especially these guys on these big projects. I'm working on a big national lab project. And I, I said, you know, there's fear. And they go, fear? How, how would that show up? And I said, well, did you tell them every single thing that you think about the project? Did you identify potential problems? Did, did you tell them that these things that you're talking about now? Well, no. <laughs> Why not? Well, I wanted to hold it close to the vest. I went, yeah, that's fear. That's how it shows up. We don't tell each other something. Or we or we make light of it. Or you know, that's how fear fear is everywhere. And so, yeah, so you got to drive out fear. The second principle is you really have to care. If people don't care, you can't fake that. You can't fake that I care. You have to, you really do have to care. You have to care about the people. You have to care about the results. You have to. You have to. You have to be with it. You have to want to do it. You have to. You have to care. And so that isn't something that can just be fake. People can see fake. Oh yeah, I really care. I'm patting you on the back. Mm -hmm. People pick that up in in a nanosecond. We have radar for that. So you really have to care. You really have to care about the results. Uh, the third one is people don't argue with what they help to create. So you have to create forums for people who are in, in, around an issue. Who are the people that are involved? Who, who do you need in the room in order to get a decision and have it be vetted and have everybody feel like, yeah, this is, this is good, or I can live with this, whatever, whatever it is. 
So you have to do that. So you give them a forum to actually create it. And for developing culture, this is probably the most important thing that I have ever seen, that if you don't do it, you will not create culture. If you want to live by your values, then you better create ways where people are engaged in creating something around your values. On your projects, if you have an issue, you want to put it on the table and let everybody talk. So if you're having like your meetings for a a job, who does the talking? A lot of these meetings are just reporting out. I'm reporting out. This is happening. I'm reporting. That will not do it. They're not creating anything then. It's way too passive. It's like lecture and I'm listening and I'm just telling you, you know, no, it's need to be actually a co-creation process. And I already told you this one, there is a collective wisdom in a team and you can bet your life on it. You can trust it. It will come up with ideas that would never be possible if you didn't allow them to come together and share completely there are different points of view and they'll create stuff that's just amazing. Just amazing. The fifth one is refuse to be an adversary. And I always add no matter what. So when we have someone who we feel is like attacking us or doing something that's unfair, our brain shifts and goes into protection mode. So if we feel like we need to protect, then I'm not going to share. It's fear. I'm not going to share with you. So instead, I always think of terms like a matador. When somebody's chasing at you, you turn to the side and let them run past. Doesn't affect you. And then after they've run past a few times, eventually they'll say, well, let's talk about it. (laughs) Say, okay, let's talk about it. So just don't, don't engage because as soon as you engage, like your, your mind is going, yes, but that's not, we're not going to do that. We're never going to do that. I'm not going to, you have hijacked your brain from being able to create any kind of solution because all your brain is focused on now is creating your rebuttal or how to get even. Mm-hmm. So refusing to be an adversary, no matter what is happening, will help your brain to create solutions and listen to what people are really telling you they need. Because a lot of times they're just upset. It isn't really what they need. What they need is something else. So if you can give them what they need, then you will be able to move forward and you'll build rapport in a way, a deep rapport that just would not have been possible if there wasn't some conflict, which you'll see is another one of my uh, principles. Okay, number seven is to improve communication. I tell people by 50%, stop talking and start listening. You would be amazed at the stuff you could learn if you just listen to people because they will tell you things, they will will explain more, you'll understand what's possible, you understand what's not possible, you'll understand fully what the problem is. On construction projects, what happens a lot of times because there's a lot of fear a problem happens, right? So that, oh, you know, the the piping isn't fitting. And so what are we going to do about it? Or, you know, 
God forbid that the piping runs uphill, right? On a gravity line. So whatever it is, you go, what are we going to do about it? Well, it's not, I didn't, I didn't do it. It's not my problem. Well, I'm not paying for it until we just start talking at each other instead of saying, well, what's the problem? What's the problem? Well, the problem is that the water won't run down. So we need to have, a, we need at least to have a, you know, one-to-one or whatever it is we need for the, for the, uh, the grade and, you know, well, how can we achieve that? That's a whole different conversation than, well, I didn't do it. You didn't do it. The designer didn't catch it. What is it? <laughs> and that's, and when I end up in court with mediating disputes, that's what's gone on for five years before, before I got there. <laughs> so that's why you don't resolve issues is because people start talking at each other because they're so afraid of the outcome. Okay, number, number eight is your success is determined by how you react to the challenges that you face. And so again, how are you going to react to what happens? And, and how do you react? In each instance, how did you react? And you can, you can find a direct correlation to the result you got. So, so how can you change how you react to get the result you want? A lot of times we focus, especially when we're fearful, on what we're afraid of instead of what we want. So you want to stay focused on what you want. I want the project to come in on time. I want it to come in on but I want to do better than that. Let's let, I want to, I want a happy client. What is it you want? I want to have a long-term relationship. What is it you want? And then your, your reactions better be consistent with that. Because I see a lot of times people are like, boiling out, boiling over with anger, and then they, oh, I'd like to have a long-term relationship. That's not going to work. That's not happening. Or in other, other instances, I have some very large um, facility owners who have scorecards where they actually score the contractors, and so the contractors never tell them the truth. And so then they wonder, well, why, why do people want to work on our jobs? And of course, they pay more for that then. So number nine is there is energy in conflict and don't be afraid of it. So when there's conflict, uh, if you can get that, that energy that's pent up in that conflict focused on a solution, it will go very quickly into an innovation or into some new way of resolving it. It will, it will, because they, they're so uncomfortable and there is this tension that if you can move people towards resolution, it goes very quickly and the team gains momentum and they create, co it creates cohesion. It's sort of like, you know, um, letting the air out of a balloon, you know, you, you get a lot of poof from it. So don't be afraid of the conflict. Um, but make sure it stays constructive, not destructive, because when it gets personal, that's destructive. And don't let too much fear, it's not around fear, it's like, you know, I'm not sure how to solve this, I'm not sure what's the right way, do we have the right calculations, do we have the material, what materials are available, what are we going to do? Because when things stay unsolved, teams work at the pace that they can get decisions. Mm -hmm. So if you can get the decisions made that's not what I'm, I'm talking about. We actually have, you know, the designer has a different point of view than the structural engineer versus the contractors. And maybe there's a sub subs that have to put some stuff They have a, that is that dynamic tension that allows for creativity to burst forward. 
So don't be afraid of that. And lastly is understanding all interests. So you really have to, as a leader, try to understand the interests. What do people need in order to be successful with each, either an overall project or with each issue? so that then you can try to give everyone what it is they need to be successful. And when you take that point of view, because we're so interdependent, on about 75% of the issues that you're gonna face, you can co-create solutions that give everybody what it is they need. But if we talk at each other, you never get there. It's impossible. You've hijacked your mind and you've hijacked the whole conversation. So everybody's in this adversarial talking at each other mode. Now I'm going to write this. I'm going to write a letter to you and state my position. And it's like, that's not a conversation. And of course, today we try to have those conversations via email, which does not work. (laughs) So those are the principles. So those are the things that it's, it's really about how do you think and how do you approach issues that come up on every project? Every project has problems. There are no perfect designs and there's no perfect anybody. It's just, it's always adapting and trying to fix it, make it work uh, in the field. Every, every construction project is a one-off. It's true. I mean, going off what you said, I mean, fear is, it's the silent killer of everything when it comes to the, the everything you just said to is to counter obviously counteract fear and, and but it's a lot of people in construction and i've had to say it to my employees too is don't overthink it don't think so far ahead of something when the situation hasn't happened yet because you're fearful of the outcome when the outcome hasn't even happened confront it first you know talk about it and then we'll we'll come up with the solution once whether it's dealing with clients or other employees and so on too and i mean there's a lot of stuff all that you just said and everybody's got to go get your book by the way because so they can learn more about all this stuff as well or reach out to you but even the the co-creation process and like collective wisdom with your employees and so on too real quick to kind of wrap this up because of time i i can talk for hours with you about leadership i mean this has been so awesome but um you know how do you recommend a contractor or or, you know uh, an own business owner kind of go about that co-creation process or you know collective wisdom process and get their employees all in the same room and and be able to have openness and talk uh with each other too because i think that's a big struggle in construction like we kind of touched down earlier um, what are some recommendations? And then I want to go into some personal questions with you to wrap this up. Okay. Well, I like to create a forum, as I said. So um, so say you have your employees and maybe some key subs, mm-hmm. and you take a Saturday afternoon, Saturday morning, and you get everyone around a table together, and you talk about what are the things that we do really, really well? Where are our, our biggest strengths? And then you ask them, where, what are the things where we could improve or need to improve? And let, them, let the wisdom 
because you asked them, and then go around the room and make every single person talk. Each, each person, write it on a flip chart, write it on a whiteboard, whatever you do, make sure everybody can see it. And then from there, after you've done all that, then go back and say, okay, of all these things we've written down, if you lose the Pareto principle, you get 80% of your results from 20%. What's the 20%? So if you have 100 things written down or 80 things written down, you know, what are, what are the 10 that we're going to do that we should, we should actually work on? Or maybe it's, maybe it's what are the two things that we're going to really work on to make level up, level ourselves up. And if it's around trust, how are we going to level up trust? Like, what are, you can that could be you could you could frame it around trust you could frame it around production you could frame it around whatever whatever you want but you see the idea of it is is you let every single person talk and then the next time you have an issue and maybe it's a a, a project issue or it's a project issue that's coming on you're seeing a lot of it like it could be an internal process is have them again help them help create what's going to what's the amended process that's going to be helpful and then have them be part of monitoring is that working what kind of what kind of results are we getting yeah this is working now we still got some problems here well what could, what do you think we could do there let them help create co-create it and you'll be amazed at what will happen uh, it's, uh, it's so spot on and a lot of people just don't think to do that and you know and to have everybody have a voice, especially your subcontractors and getting everybody in a room together too, and sit down and just hear them out. How can we do this better? You know, how can we pro do all our processes better? How can we communicate better? We don't do that. I admit I don't do that enough, but you know, and it's crazy to think about and you're like, wow, you know, this is, this is so great. Yeah, you'll be, you know, you'll level up in mm -hmm. all sorts of areas. And that just means you'll be smarter, better and faster. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I I mean, I like I said, we can go on for hours on leadership and on this topic too, and trust and everything you you are literally a book full of information sitting in front <laughs> of me right now. So I wish we had more time. But I, I always wrap the show up with these questions. This is one of my favorite questions I ask everybody. What about you personally? You're obviously building an amazing company, business, and brand that continues to grow each and every day. What lessons have you learned throughout your journey that we should all apply to our own business or own lives that can help us grow? Personally, okay. Well, um, in my business, when I started my business in 1986, I wanted to build a business that would last at least a hundred years. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of business owners don't think that way, especially nowadays. They think in terms of in one or two years, I want to be able to sell it and make my fortune. <laughs> and that, that really wasn't what I wanted to do. So, um, and so I've already sold the business uh, in, at the end of 2020 to someone who's worked for me now for 14 years. So uh, so I'm now working for him <laughs> and, uh, and, and still supporting him. So I think that's one of the things succession is, has to be thought about maybe from the very beginning of your business and it affects your family. It affects everyone. Right. So the other thing is, is that from a personal standpoint and business too, is it 
why are you in business? Uh, is it to build wealth? Is it to, what, what, what is your purpose? So uh, for me, it's, it's been my life's work to help change the culture of the construction industry. So everything that I've done for the last 40 years has always been around that. And of course, at the same time, still doing business and building wealth, and uh, which will be another thing, the personal thing, kind of blending business, and is that I guess after about 10 years in business, um, I was still pretty young at that point, and I asked my husband, I said, well, how much money would we need outside of retirement in order to never have to work again? And so he calculated that number. And, and so then we worked, it took us about five years to get to that number. And it was like, okay, well, now I don't, I don't have to worry about the money part, but we still did. We still continued to work for another 25 years. But um, yeah, so I think those are things that I would say are important. And, uh, and from a business and leadership standpoint, um, yeah, so I don't know if that answers your question, but that's what came to my mind. <laughs> no, definitely, definitely. I always get great answers on that question, and they're all different too, believe it or not, too. So I love it. Love great answer. And my next question to you, too obviously, everybody asks about your past. Let's hear about your future. So, where will we see Sue Dyer in 10, 15, 20 years from now? Who will you be? Well, let's see. Right now, um, I am working continuously to try to change the culture of the industry to become more collaborative. And so I am, I have, I started about 14, 15 years ago now, the international partnering Institute, which is a 501 C three charitable organization. And so I gave, given my training to them, I'm going to create more training for them. There'll be the certifications. Uh, Also, I've been asked to help some very, very, very large owners to create partnering programs uh, for their programs worldwide. So I'm helping to do that as long as as well as still working on some projects because I want to keep my my skills up to what's happening or what are the trends that are really happening in the field. So I do that. Um, Maybe writing some more books and uh, still I have a podcast as well called Lead with Trust. This year we've been going, I was asked to do a series on bringing women into construction because there's 500,000 empty spots, jobs unfilled right now in construction. And in two years, it will be uh, 620,000. So we we have a lot of need in the industry to bring people in. Mm -hmm. So just still, and I have a column that's every month is called Built on Trust in the United Contractors Association magazines. So writing, creating things, legacy. That's, for me, it's legacy. Trying to write and leave things, create a body of knowledge, a body of work that I can leave to the industry and uh, so that it can continue to work towards uh, improving the level of trust we have on our projects. I mean, you are doing amazing at it. It's all the things you're doing. You are amazing. You're an amazing person. I'm so glad to have you on, Sue. I mean, this is this has been great too. And just what you said there too to change change the culture of the construction industry is so important too. I mean, that's why I do this podcast because 
it is an industry that it's kind of looked down upon for you know late timelines not showing up certain things and it's showcasing people like yourself that are just good people that you know have a mission to do the right thing and do you know do construction better build better you know overall too so um amazing and no doubt all this le- the legacy and everything is going to go on and on for sure um too and last thing i always like to wrap my show up with is what the show's about what exactly do people need to look for when working with somebody like yourself and leadership and coaching and why should they choose sue dyer and sudico as the go-to company of choice well i would like him to choose the international partnering institute there you go so it's partneringinstitute.org it's a nonprofit. And there are awards for partnering and collaboration there. Um, we're developing out an entire curriculum, so people will be able to uh, get that anywhere in the industry. And uh, and I think that you know that's and we will. Sudico does have a construction scorecard, where and we have an algorithm that measures your level of momentum. So if anybody's interested in knowing more about that, we can talk about it. But Um, Right now, we only offer it to our clients, but uh, we are working to offer it to others who might want to also measure it because that it's an accountability tool, but it's also a steering tool so that you can uh, snapshot on time each month on your project, see how are we doing at following through what we committed to doing. So, So, for example, you have that meeting with all of your employees. You come up with these two things, and then we talk about what are we going to do. At some point, you need to measure how well are we doing at following through with what we're doing, what are the results that we're getting so that you can measure. So it's just a measurement tool that allows the team to measure. So that's that International Partnering Institute. Watch for that. Join. uh, Get involved. Um, There's uh, all sorts of things that are happening there. And, uh, and it's growing from owners that are sharing about the, the different projects they have that are coming out to training to, uh, you know, we have, we have a board of directors that has a lot of very large construction owners and also not, I don't mean construction company owners, but like um, owners like the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. So, you know, people that are very large, have large programs of projects. And, uh, and so we're just working on, you know, every project is important and, and the people on it are the salt of the earth who we want to have the fun time of being able to build stuff. The built environment is, I think, the most important thing we have that builds society. Because if we didn't have our buildings and our roadways and our flush toilets and, you know, our water, what would society be? The built environment is, is is hugely important, and the people who build it are 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 critical. So, yeah, just supporting them and helping them to see how they can have a phenomenal career in construction. So amazing! Uh, thank you again for your time too. And just last thing, where can people find and connect with you? You brushed on it a little bit on some of it, but where can they find you? Website, a podcast, say that again, and then obviously the podcast is Lead with Trust, 
and uh, and it's uh, monthly. We do monthly. Last year we did. There's and there's some episodes on there people might be interested in. Uh, one is with Jeff Newmeyer, who's the chief development officer at San Francisco International Airport, but he was also just recently the president of the Design Build Institute of America, and uh, he and I. Have, uh, worked together for many years. I mean, I worked on every project at SFO for 25 years. So, but we created their progressive design build. So I don't know if any of you, we created that process. And uh, one of the things that Jeff talked about in one of the episodes is about uh, the owner's dilemma where, and meeting the project owner's dilemma, where there is the Sparin doctrine, which says that a contractor can and can expect to have perfect plans and specs. And then there's the standard of care, which says that the designers build, build design to a standard of care and it isn't perfection isn't expected. And between those two things, the owner owns it. But most owners don't realize they own it. And to me that until we address those risks, which is what progressive design build does, it addresses that so that you don't end up with that us versus them thing. So that's a really important, some really good episodes on there that people might want to check out. Awesome. Sue, thank you so much for your time today. Amazing. My pleasure. Thank you so much for what you're doing. I just, we just need more people out there in the industry uh, sharing. Yeah, no, I appreciate you. I appreciate everything you're doing as well too. I agree with you hundred percent. And uh, yeah, we, we definitely need more of us sharing and showcasing how important construction is and, and, you know, just bringing on great people like yourself too. So appreciate you. Thank you for today and everybody listening. I appreciate you all too. Please like share, comment, share this episode, uh, share it with friends and family, and I will see you guys on the next episode.